All right, well, good evening, everyone. Yeah, welcome to Bible study. We're glad you're here. Gonna take a few minutes and pray and get going. Heavenly Father, thank you for uh, a night to meet, a place to meet, a reason to meet. We thank you for the presence of your Son here. Uh, Jesus, we ask that you would have your way, and we pray that you would be glorified through what we do. I pray, God, that you would speak, that we'd have ears to hear. I pray for the Holy Spirit to teach us tonight. Uh, We look to Him uh, as the one who teaches. We look to Him as the one who brings meaning and the one who brings understanding. And so we ask that He would have His way in our midst. And we ask you, God, that this time would be a time of change for us. It would be a time of challenge. I ask you, God, that you would open up your word to us, uh, revelation, understanding, and application. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Right. If you have your Bibles, uh, you can open up to the Gospel of Luke. Gospel of Luke. If you need a Bible, there's some around somewhere. Feel free to grab one. Anybody else need a Bible? Luke chapter 1 and verse 80. 80. Luke 1, 80. If someone would like to read that, you are more than welcome to do so. All right, thanks. Anybody know who that's talking about? Who's the most famous guy you know that lived in the wilderness? John the Baptist. It's what we normally would associate with that. Uh, Although, uh, if you you look back into the Old Testament, there's a pretty famous guy that came out of the middle of nowhere, and that was Elijah. Uh, He's uh, referred to as Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe. Yeah. He was from Tishbe in Gilead. And uh, what we know about Tishbe and Gilead is next to nothing because nothing was there. And uh, the guy came out of pretty much nowhere, appeared on the scene, and began to prophesy to the king of Israel. Literally came out of nowhere. And the first thing he did was announce that there was going to be a drought in the land. I don't know if you remember the story of Elijah, but he basically just came on the scene, announced that there was going to be... Uh, a, a famine there's gonna be a drought and then he ran, kind of ran off for a little while then he came back and he had a lot more to do but a kind of an interesting story with him a prophet interesting story with him that that john the baptist would come in the power and in the spirit of elijah i don't know if you've ever read that before and so there's a connection there's a spiritual connection between elijah and john the baptist So it's not too surprising that John the Baptist would come out of the wilderness as an adult and come right on the scene to do what he was called to do. Why? Because he came in the spirit and the anointing of Elijah who did exactly the same thing. And so what this verse describes, it it describes... John's journey, I know it's only a verse, it's not really a long verse, but this is his journey. 
this is the journey that we pick up on, and there's a couple other places in the New Testament that give a, a few more, but not very many more details. Uh, not much more is said about John the Baptist's life. I mean, this is 30 years contained in this verse. And this gives us a description of how he lived, not just as an adult, but also uh, as a child. We don't know how long his parents lived, but they were very old when he was born. I don't know if you remember the story of, of John the Baptist, but his parents had already passed the age where they're supposed to be having children. And so they were already pretty old when he was born, and so however long they lived after he was born, that was it. So he likely, his parents died when he was very young. He was a child, or at least what we would consider a child, and he went out into the wilderness, and that's where he lived. And we don't have any, a lot of other details about it. All we know is what it says. Uh, he, he probably had a fairly, uh, so he, he was probably alone a lot. He, he probably, I mean, if you know anything about the desert or the wilderness, there's not really a lot of people out there. And so you spend your time alone quite a bit. And so he probably spent a lot of time alone. Uh, he also probably had a fairly, at least for the people that day, fairly original life, if you think about it. I mean, not too many people just go out to the desert and live there. But that's what he was called to, or that's what he did, regardless. And so uh, as we look at that, I just want you to keep in mind that he had spent a lot of time alone. He had spent a lot of time in the desert. And so that affected his life. You think about how many things affected your life before the age of 30. How many, how many experiences, uh, how many relationships affected your life before the age of 30? Those of you that aren't 30... Um, just play along, all right? <laughs> Just play along. And, but, but, I mean, if you think about it, even if you're, if you're not 20 or if you're not 25, if you're not 30, you can think about all the experiences that you've had that have affected you up until this point in your life. I mean, you think about your parents. You think about people that have spoken into your life. You think about your experiences at school, any jobs that you've had, relationships that you've had. I mean, all of these things affect who you are. And so John, by the time he was 30 and it was time for him to come on the scene in Israel, I mean, somehow, some way, his life had been affected by his experiences. Now, maybe it wasn't so much relationships, because we don't know that he had a lot of relationships, but I'm sure he had experiences in the wilderness. I mean, anybody that shows up eating locusts and wild honey, he's had some experiences. And, and I know, think about how gross that is. Like we, we have a problem eating insects, right, in our society. Not all societies are like that, but we have a problem. One of the things that uh, that's getting popular right now is cricket protein. And they make protein bars and, and protein powder out of crickets. And uh, supposedly, they just taste like regular protein bars, and it tastes like regular protein, but it's higher in protein and it has a lot less of the stuff that makes people sick because it's not derived from dairy it's not derived from the stuff that they usually derive protein from so uh it's a popular thing they have a big problem though in that they've got to get over us not really liking to eat insects and so anytime i hear about the crickets and the cricket protein everything 
You know, a lot of times I'll think about John the Baptist. He ate insects and wild honey. So, I don't know. I guess we could give it a shot, but yuck. I think... Who? John the Baptist? We don't know. Uh, it may be because it says that he did grow physically. So he wasn't the same size as he was when he was a child. So we don't know. But um, but I think, didn't we have, didn't we see crickets or something in Mexico? Like chocolate covered? No, they weren't either. They were roasted. Roasted crickets? Oh, yeah? Back to John the Baptist. The, it, the first thing it says about him that he grew physically. In other words, he, he grew from childhood to an adult. That's our clue that he was in the wilderness. And he grew in wisdom and stature, uh, living in the desert. But more importantly, uh, his spirit gained strength. Uh, there's somebody else in the Bible that talks about that. Uh, if you're Samuel, First Samuel two twenty six. Somebody look at that. And you see somebody else described that way. I mean, who else was described that way in the New Testament? John was described as growing in wisdom and stature. Who else grew in wisdom and stature? Jesus. Jesus, right? He's described that way. First uh, Samuel two twenty six. All right, so Samuel is another example of somebody that grew that way. And so John, on purpose, the way he's described, he's lumped in with Samuel. He's lumped in with Jesus, in a sense, because he's also growing in stature and wisdom. And, and so that's something that they want us to understand about. Now, what does that mean? Well, it means that he was growing... And he would be above the love of the world. What does that mean? It means he had more important things on his mind. And if you think about him growing up in the wilderness, he really didn't have a lot of values probably that people have. Like that we have, for example. We have certain values, things that we think are super important. But if you grew up in a situation like he grew up in, what would your values be? I mean, I don't even know. Water? Water and food, maybe? Survival, understanding how to survive. Uh, but he, we don't have any indication that he was afraid of people. He really didn't seem to be ruled by fear at all. Uh, he was put in prison. He was killed in prison. But he wasn't afraid to prophesy to the king. I mean, Herod couldn't stand him because he wasn't afraid to prophesy to him. He wasn't afraid to call him out. He wasn't afraid to point out that he was doing something that was evil. And the king didn't like that. And ultimately, that's part of the reason behind how John lost his life was because he just wasn't afraid. And we don't get that indication that he was afraid. When the Pharisees came out to be baptized, what did he say to them? What did he call them? You family of snakes, right? You family of snakes, you brood of vipers, who warned you? And I mean, he wasn't very kind to them. And yet they were the people of power. They were the people that had the political power. They were the people that had the religious power. He didn't seem too concerned about those things. He didn't seem concerned about political issues. He didn't seem concerned about religious issues. 
None of those things. He didn't seem to be concerned about the hierarchy of society. Didn't bother him. He was, he was speaking the same word. He was preaching the same message to anybody that came out. Right, and, I, and to me, those are very important characteristics to do what God had called him to do. They're pretty powerful characteristics on his part. You see, but he hadn't been poisoned. He hadn't been brought into a situation where he was taught those things were things of value. So he had no reason to believe that. You see, part of our issue is that we're brought up in a society that tells us this is what's important. This is what matters. And we may, as adults, come to different conclusions and we may begin to reject those things in our lives. But again, how much did you learn before you were 10, before you were 5, before you were 15, before you were 20 years old that shaped who you are now? Probably a lot. Probably more than we'd want to admit are things, those are the kind of things that we learned. I mean, how, how did you learn what authority is? You think you learned that before you were 10? Probably. For good or bad. How did you learn about male authority? You think you learned that before you were 5 or 10 years old? Yeah, for good or bad. How about female authority? Yes, for good or for bad. All right, those are lessons that we learned as as, as kids, little, little kids. And then you go to school and they teach you how to be a good little slave. They do. They don't want you free thinking. All right? They're going to tell you what to believe. They're going to tell you what to think. And that's all there is to it. They are teaching you how to obey. Now, I don't want to get all matrix on you or anything. I'm just telling you that's what happens. And so you're being set up. We were being set up for certain things in our life. We're being set up to be good little drones at our jobs. We're being set up to be good little drones when we go on to school. We're being set up to being good little drones with whatever it is. I mean, if you think about the generations that have passed since, did you know, and I don't want to get into all of this, but did you know there was a time in our country where people didn't pay taxes on their income? Did you know that? Well, that's a whole nother story. That's a whole nother story. It's part of the story, but it's a a little different part of the story. But I mean, I know people right now living today, that do not understand that the money that the government takes out of their paychecks is their money. They don't understand that. They don't realize that they're being robbed of their money before they get their check. Because the reality of it was, the only way income tax was going to work is if they robbed you of your money before you got it. It's the only way it was going to work. So they realized that pretty quick, And they just pass legislation to rob you of your money before you even see it. To the point that enough generations have passed that people don't even know. Like at the end of the year, at the beginning of the year, they get a check in the mail from the IRS. Oh, look at all the money I got from the government. 
Yeah, that's your money, buddy. That's your money they stole out of your check. Now, I'm not talking about earned income credit or anything. I'm just talking about refunds. It's called a refund because they took it already. And they're returning it because they took too much of it. That's how you get a refund. But people don't even know that anymore. They don't get it. You see, they've been conditioned. It's like, well, now, and, and they're trying to, I hear this all the time, and I, I, I scratch my head on it. It's like, it's our patriotic duty to pay taxes. It's not my patriotic duty to pay taxes. People believe that. They really do. So anyway, I don't want to get into all that. All I'm trying to say is we've been conditioned. All right, That's what I'm trying to say. And I'm using that as an example of how we've been conditioned. We have been conditioned to believe certain things by our society, and most of the time we don't even question it. When it becomes into direct conflict, though, with the Word of God, we hopefully will begin to question it, and we will hopefully be in the process of changing our minds and purging ourselves of those things. Hopefully. I hope so. See, growing up in the middle of nowhere has its advantages. It really does. I kind of had my opportunity to grow up in the middle of nowhere, and I'm really thankful for that. I'm thankful I grew up in a family kind of in the middle of nowhere where my grandfather still just did whatever he wanted to do. Right? And I'm not advocating being rebellious or anything like that. I'm just telling you, he, had, he, he would go out, he wanted to, nobody's using the field across the street. Guess what happened? He planted it. That's right. He planted it. He worked it for years. We were there. He needed to get a hose across the road in order to water his field. You know what he did? He dug the road up, put his hose down, and then put the road back down on top of it. That was awesome. Yeah. All right. Well, it had a little bit of asphalt on top of it, but you could, you know, chunk it up and put it back down again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like rocks. It's just rocks, you know. And I, I mean, I go on and on. I mean, it's just, you know, people are going to live the way they're going to live. All right. But that we don't have that because we've been conditioned out of it. See, he didn't go to school. He didn't know. He didn't, you know, his family was so poor. He they had to take turns going to school. I mean, they, they'd take turns every three years taking a year of school. He made it to sixth grade before he turned to 18. you imagine being 18 years old in sixth grade? Seriously? Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, I think he made it to sixth grade. Anyway, whatever happened, but he just didn't get conditioned. He was working on the farm those years. So he just didn't know. And so, you know, I, I didn't know I was supposed to wear shoes when I grew up. I was just barefoot all the time. And I try to walk into stores with barefoot. Yeah, I didn't know you weren't supposed to go into stores barefoot or without a shirt on or anything else. We go to town or whatever. So all I'm trying to say is, is that, you know, things we take for granted, we've been conditioned into those things. And so he wasn't. And, and I want to get to something with that. And I'm, I'm trying to get there. But because he wasn't conditioned, he wasn't ruled by fear and the Bible says that he waxed strong. If you have an older version of the Bible, that's an old English term, to wax strong. And it means to increase 
It means to grow, and that word strong talks about courage and understanding. John the Baptist was no lamb of God. He was not. That was Jesus. John the Baptist was not that. And we have no indication that he was that. He knew the Lamb of God when he saw him. You know, it's, you know all through John, you read the like third chapter of John, and you see John the Baptist, he sees Jesus, I think it was third chapter, second or third chapter, he sees Jesus coming, behold the Lamb of God. He does it a few times, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, behold the Lamb of God. He recognized the Lamb of God, he respected the Lamb of God. He announced the Lamb of God, but he wasn't the Lamb of God. And that's okay. It's all right. He was who he was. And I'm only going to take a moment on this because I know I've taught on this a, a bunch of times, but you have your personality. You are who you are. You have your experience base. You come from somewhere. You have your, uh, the, however you grew up and all of that. You have your family and all for better, for worse, and, or the indifferent or whatever it is. But you are who you are. And whether or not you are a lamb or you're not a lamb, that's not what's important. You need to recognize the lamb. You need to announce the lamb. You need to be with the lamb, but maybe you're not a lamb. And I look in the Bible and I see a bunch of different personalities in there. I see Elijah from the Old Testament. I see Moses from the Old Testament. I see David from the Old Testament, a man after God's own heart. We have plenty of understanding of the personality of, of David. He was not a lamb. He was not. Moses was not. Elijah was not. Elisha was not. I'm pretty confident I'm going to see all those guys when I get to heaven. Pretty confident. Every single one of them, at least. And so I want to just begin to, and if, if you've never thought about this before, I want to get you thinking about that not all of us are going to have the personality of Jesus. The Bible says, let this mind be in you, which also was in Christ, that he gave his life, who being in the form of God, regardless of that, not even think it was Robert to be equal with God, but he emptied himself out and made himself nothing. All right, that's talking about an attitude. That's talking about a way of seeing ourselves and a way of moving forward. But our personality was given to us as a gift. And maybe there's parts of us that need to change. Amen. So be it. Maybe there's parts of us that, that need to be molded and shaped. Well, so be it. But you were still made the person you are. And don't ever feel ashamed of that. Don't feel like that you're, you're second class or you're third class or fourth class because maybe your personality, you're not a lamb of God, maybe. Maybe you're more of the angry mutt of God. I don't know. But there may, there's, I, I don't know, okay? But what I'm trying to say is, is that you are who you are. And, and I am who I am, and God's going to use me, and God has used me, is who I am, and he's going to use you as who you are. 
And as you stay humble and as you stay open and as you stay ready and willing to allow the Holy Spirit to do his work in your life, there may be some changes that take place in you, but you're still who you are. You are still recognizable as the person you were. And that's okay. It's good. And as we meet David and as we meet Elijah and we meet Elisha and we meet Moses and we meet Samuel and we meet all these people from the Old Testament on, when we get to heaven, they're going to be who they are. They are. And we're going to be who we are. God absolutely loves you right now. Absolutely. And he chose you and he wants to use you right now. As flawed as we are, as weird as we are, as unstable as we are sometimes, he wants to use us right now. And so I I want to encourage you to rest into that. Just rest into it. Don't constantly think... Oh, well, I got to get this fixed and I got to get that fixed and I, I got to change this and I got to change that. Probably the stuff you're worried about fixing, God doesn't care about. Probably. He might. I mean, I don't know what you're worried about fixing, but I would say there's a good chance that you're worried about the wrong thing. That's what I would say. And I'm not saying that to be mean. I'm just saying that we have a warped view of ourselves sometimes. And so we get worried about the wrong stuff that God doesn't really, I, I don't think God really cares about. At least I haven't noticed that too much. So John would stay in the wilderness until a certain moment, until a certain time. And it was a time of open presentation that God was going to bring about. That this would be God's time, God's purpose, God's plan for John to be presented. Now, the word picture that you get from that is as follows. That a person who, say, didn't live in Jerusalem would at some point in their life, if they were called to be a priest or they were called somehow to be a rabbi, they would come to Jerusalem at some point and they would present themselves to the Sanhedrin. And the Sanhedrin would then examine them. And however means that they would examine this person, this candidate, they would examine them. And if they were approved, then they would be admitted into whatever you would call that college of rabbis or teachers. And that's normally how it would work. And it usually took place around the age of 30. That's when it would take place. And so John showed up to Jerusalem, and and this is the idea of the open presentation, that he showed up, but he didn't go to the Sanhedrin. He didn't go to the religious leaders. He didn't go to whoever it would be that would supposedly examine him and give him some kind of approval or admit him into their college of rabbis because he wasn't interested in that. In fact, his harshest words were for them. 
His harshest words were for the religious leaders and for the people that if he was going to go a normal route into the priesthood or a normal route into whatever it was he was going to do to be a rabbi, then he would have gone to those people, and yet those are the people he had the, the worst things to say. You see, he hadn't been influenced. He'd been in the wilderness. He hadn't been influenced by the rabbis. He hadn't been influenced by the priests. He hadn't had any influence as far as the religious worship of the temple was concerned. None of it. He hadn't heard the teachings that we know of. He hadn't heard what they were supposed to believe. He hadn't heard what the Pharisees had to say. He hadn't heard what the Sadducees had to say. He hadn't heard what any of these people had to say. He was coming out of the wilderness. He was alone with God. And he was educated, and I, and I think of this, he was educated in a lot of ways, the same way Moses was educated. How was Moses educated into the things of God? In the wilderness, by himself. That's how he was educated. He's the guy that wrote the five, first five books of the Old Testament. He was educated by being with God. And we look at that, and it's like, well, that's not normal. Well, that's not normal. By the way, we normally do things. Yeah, it's not. And yet, here's a man that showed up on the day that God approved, on the day that God said, okay, this is going to be his presentation day, not to walk into the Sanhedrin, not to walk into the temple, not to get examined by the people of the Sanhedrin and get their approval somehow and somehow get welcomed into whatever their brood of vipers which is what he said they were. But he'd been educated by God, and he knew better. And he wasn't influenced by it. There's something really pure about that. There is something really pure about not being influenced by that. And I'll tell you the truth, the further I get away from that, the better off I am. I used to worry about it. I used to worry about a bunch of stuff like that. And I, I just, I'm telling you, the better off I am. And that goes against the grain of everything we've been taught in the church. Oh, if you get off by yourself, you're going to get all crazy. Yeah, like John the Baptist crazy. Like Moses crazy. Maybe like Paul crazy. Huh? Let's get on out there and get Paul crazy. That'd be a real danger. Yeah. Get all crazy. Get off the deep end. Yeah, well, okie doke. I mean, I'm not that worried about it. And I don't know that John was that worried about it. I'm not, I'm not sure Moses was too worried about it. I think they were just going about doing what God had called him to. God began to reveal himself through a burning bush. Okay, weirdo. All right. What else you got? You know, Elijah, God's revealing himself, feeding him with ravens. Okay. There you go, weirdo. Yeah. Birds are feeding me. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, so 
whatever. All right. And I, you're going to eat insects now. Right. And, and uh, honey. Okay. Whatever. Weirdo. Yeah. You, you just keep going out there in the wilderness. All right. Do you understand what I'm saying? The reason we believe that's weird is why? Because we were taught to believe that's weird. When the fruit of it is, this guy is a world changer. Moses is a world changer. Elijah is a world changer. Yeah. These guys are world changers, and they came walking out of the desert uneducated by any human means. Just keep it in mind, at least religiously. And, and John, just uneducated, you can say that. And Moses had learned the ways of the Egyptians, but was uneducated in the things of God. And Elijah was likely uneducated because of where he came from. But how these guys, how these guys just just came out of nowhere. Think about the disciples. They got called out of obscurity. They might have lived in town, but they were uneducated. They got called out of obscurity. All of a sudden, these guys who who their own father didn't think them uh, good enough to be in charge of his boat. You know, and he's called. The father's in the boat running things still. These guys weren't even of a, of a certain stature with their dad that their dad considered they could run the family business. Now all of a sudden the, the church of Jesus Christ is put into these guys' hands? Yeah, well, that's what he did. Yeah. So I, I want to just make sure I say that because his lack of influence by the religious leaders of the day is important to who he was. It's important to how God used him and the ways that God used him. He didn't need that kind of influence. It wasn't, it wasn't necessary. It wasn't necessary to what God had called him to. The revelation that God had given him was all he needed to move forward into what God had called him to do. He had an anointing and he had a revelation. That's all he needed. And he used it. Because you see, he had been hidden before. He was in the wilderness, and, and not that he was hiding, but nobody knew who he was. Nobody cared. He had been hidden, and he had stayed hidden until that time that God ordained, and he walked out of that obscurity. But I would imagine he could have stayed. I doubt he was like chomping at the bit, champing at the bit, waiting to get into town. Oh, how long I got to be out here in this wilderness? You stay out somewhere for 30 years or 25 years, however long you was out there, you get used to living there. I don't know how much you're really looking to get anywhere else. I mean, most people that I know that live in obscurity, they live in, in places where other people aren't, they live there for a reason after a while. And they don't really care. I had a, a great uncle, Uncle Isaiah. He lived on a farm and nobody bothered him. Nobody even went out there. The only people who ever went out there were me and my grandfather and maybe my grandmother every now and then. That was it. And we'd go see Uncle Isaiah every now and then. And I told a story about him that's pretty funny. We thought he was deaf for years because he never left the farm. And so, so we noticed over time we were going out to see him every month, like it got harder to talk to him. So we'd have to get louder and louder and louder and louder. 
So he finally convinced him, and it took some convincing and bribery. We convinced him to go see a doctor about his hearing. He was healthy otherwise. So he went to see the doctor about his hearing, and the doctor looked in his ears and everything, and he, he discovered that the reason he couldn't hear is because he had such a big wax buildup in his ears, and he was able to put that stuff in it and dissolve it and everything, and it all drained out, and he could hear perfectly after that. But he never wanted to, he wouldn't want to leave. He just did He loved living there. He died in that house. So I don't know that John was in a hurry to get anywhere. But God revealed him. God revealed him. For his sake, I don't think so. But for our sake, he revealed him. For the sake of Jesus, he revealed him. That's why he revealed him. Had nothing to do, I don't think, with what he wanted or what he was trying to do or, or him trying to get somewhere or to get to a certain position or anything, but it was the will of God. I want you to turn to John chapter 3 and verse 30. John three thirty. Now here's some words of John the Baptist that just show his attitude. This shows his heart. Now, and this is part of the reason why I, I don't think he was looking to, to get revealed. I think it was God revealing him. And I think it was that time and that place and for God's purposes and for the sake of us and the sake of the Messiah that he was revealed. Because there's some words spoken here that he speaks that I would pray every time before I preach when I was on the road. And literally, I would say them out loud as I was sitting up on the platform waiting for my turn to get up and talk. And, you know, they made you sit on a platform. Yeah. But I'd always say this because I, I just, I don't know, I just always felt this way. And uh, somebody read that, John 3.30. Right. Because what was John before? Nothing. Nothing because he, he nobody knew him. All right. So in the eyes of whomever he's talking about, you understand? In the eyes of whomever he's talking about, he was nothing prior to this. Prior to the age of 30, no one knew who he was. He lived in obscurity. And since God revealed him, he had a purpose. He went about that purpose. And then he made the statement, and, and it, this was in response to people worrying about John and people worrying about his, you know, his reputation and about him becoming even greater, him being more well-known, and how Jesus was beginning to move up, and people were beginning to know Jesus and follow after Jesus. I mean, John was really clear on this. He's like, he's got to increase. I've got to decrease. See, that's an attitude. That's a good attitude. And it helps when you come out of nowhere. I came from nothing. He came from nothing. And he's going to head back to nothing. He's okay with that. Okay? Yeah. So, just a question. What do you think the disciples of John, what do you think their perception of him was? They, they thought he was a prophet. Okay. They didn't think he was the Messiah. I don't think so. Well, he was clear he wasn't, not that that always matters. Not that that matters, but I think that they just saw him as a prophet. He did the works of a prophet. 
So that, that's why I think that they interpreted that he was a prophet correctly. Because he was called people to repentance. He was preaching the kingdom. And one thing he did do is he baptized, which was a little different, but which was different. Just different. Not a little different. That was different. But the, the, the preaching that he did and the prophesying that he did called people to repentance and change. And so that was the work of the prophet, and so that's what they saw. And I think they were pretty clear on that. But they also saw Jesus as a prophet. And I think that's where the, the mistake was made. wasn't that they thought John was the Messiah. I think they thought Jesus was another prophet. And that was why they were looking at it as rivalry and missing the point <laughs> that it wasn't. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it was their misinterpretation of Jesus had to do with that. Yeah. Historically, uh, people did. Uh, He didn't, uh, in other words, John the Baptist didn't make it up, all right, but it wasn't common. Yeah, it was all repentance and washing. The idea of John's baptism was repentance and washing. Okay, our baptism has a different meaning to it in that, you know, associated with our baptism has to do with a death, burial, and resurrection. Okay, that, that's theologically added to our baptism. But it comes out of an old idea of washing and repentance. Yeah. So, so John comes to this place where he's face-to-face with his purpose and his purpose was jesus kind of interestingly his cousin jesus but we don't know if they ever met because john grew up in the desert probably a hundred miles from where jesus grew up there are sto- you know the the only the only stories of them meeting and frolicking and playing are not scriptural <laughs> Well, in the womb, yes. Yes, yes, yes. Well, well and, and what that also tells us, though, is that even then, he would know when he's in the presence. He knows, okay? And, and so, interestingly, he may have met Jesus for the first time outside the womb at his baptism. Yeah. But he knew who he was right away. Well... Because he knew who he was in the womb, too. I mean, it wasn't like it was a shocker that he would know who he is. He's like, aha. 30 years later, aha. Yeah, it wasn't like he had photo or anything. Right, right, right. He couldn't recognize him you know, physically or anything. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so there was a... But, but you know what? The, and and I, I don't know if you're going to know what I'm talking about or not. This might sound crazy to some of you, but some of you are going to relate exactly to what I'm saying, is that there are some times in our Christian life where we are quickened or brought to life in our spirit when we get near somebody. It's just the case. That's the way it is. And I've experienced that many times in my life. And I become aware of that person almost immediately when I come into their presence or just before I come into their presence. 
That's happened both in a positive sense, which is more often, but that's also happened in a negative sense. And you can call that discerning of spirits, whatever you want to call that, but I've, I've experienced that. I've experienced that. Absolutely. Mostly people I don't know. Yeah. Well, a lot of times overseas, and, and this is important overseas, is that you never know who to trust. And there are times when I'll just know. I'll know. Even if the person doesn't even present himself or herself as a Christian, I'll still know. It's okay. There's a connection that's made without there being a connection. Or, you know, there is a real connection without there being some kind of a, a physical reason for it, you know, or whatever. It could be, but maybe not. I can't even, I can't say that for sure, but it could be, yeah. Because I've met people that I would, yeah, I met people that when I met them, they were Muslims. And yet there was something that happened when I met them, and I knew it happened when I met them, and they may have become Christians later, but there was a connection that took place right away. Yeah, right, and it's like God is, you know, bringing that to pass. Yeah. But I don't know, you know, like, I can't explain that any other than point to an example. Okay? That's all I can do. So I see that in him. I really do. I see that in John. I see he's going to know. If a baby that's not even born yet can know, yeah, how much more? In tune. Right. Right. So, so kind of funny First time we know of that he meets Jesus is at Jesus' baptism. His cousin is at Jesus' baptism. And he knows right away. It's the Lamb of God. He sees Jesus walking by. He sees Jesus here. He sees Jesus there. He recognizes Jesus right away. This is the Lamb of God. But again, remember, John, he wasn't the Lamb of God. <laughs> and it's okay. And I don't know if you really understand what I'm saying when I say that, but I, I hope you can kind of grab a hold of that truth for your life. Right. Well, Peter, Peter was a tool. <laughs> sometimes <laughs> and he was a different personality than Jesus but so was Paul Paul and Peter didn't get along all the time they were two different personalities right right and they were both key components to the the work of God and what he was going to do and you got John who was different than both of them the disciple whom Jesus loved it was different than both of them so yeah i i mean it's whatever he's going to use and however he's going to use us but we can't you can't live in regret of who god made you you just can't and when people do that they they make themselves completely almost ineffective that's right I can attest to that. I use a hammer for everything. <laughs> you can't drive a nail with a saw either. 
There's a there's a place used to work on my car, and I'd walk in and yell, "Hide the hammers!" just for fun, because I'm such a because they they fixed a couple of things that I busted with a hammer on my car. You're not supposed to use a hammer on your car. Right, Pete? I'm not? Uh, that's a misuse of the tool. The tool being the mechanic? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's bad. All right. I'm not saying you don't always, I mean, you use a hammer sometimes on a car. They just tell me that, so I don't. But I know better. Anyway. So what if God called you to live unknown? Can you do it? What if, what if you're going to live in obscurity the rest of your life? Can you do it? Sure. I hope so. I hope so. I mean, I don't, I don't know if any of you have any, like, you know, really big dreams of, of uh, I don't know, a TV ministry or anything. I don't know, maybe. Or whatever it would be. But maybe God's called us to live in obscurity. That's okay. Maybe no one will ever know our names. I don't know that. Is that okay? I think it's okay. I think it's I think it's good. And I think the more we can find peace in that and we can find rest in that, when the midlife crisis occurs and you think to yourself, I've never done anything with my life, and you go out and you buy a Miata or something, I mean, that's good. Leave it at that. Okay, don't feel like you got to run out and conquer the world. <laughs> well, I... You mean everybody that, that has a midlife crisis? I mean, it's whatever it is. Not necessarily buying a Miata or a Ferrari or something, but it could be a lot of different manifestations of that. Did you have a midlife crisis, Don? Still here. Still here in it. Okay. I, I won't bother you then about it. Okay, I won't bother you in that one. But, I mean, people do. They, they have legitimate, uh, or at least in their minds, a legitimate thing. It's like, well, I've never done anything. You know, but maybe, maybe you really have. You know, and and I would say you probably have. I would say there's about a hundred percent chance you have, if you know Jesus and you're following after Him. I I'm going to close with this. I a man, and I use him a lot, but a man that I knew in in Fredonia, he was in his 80s when I met him, and and he would, if you talked to him, he'd say that he missed his call, he never did anything, and all this other stuff, and yet that guy had so much influence on my life. And I'm only one person. That he molded my early faith as a Christian. He was a real part of that. And he also molded good portions of my theology that I carry with me to this day. And so however many people I've affected, he directly affected me that directly has affected, indirectly affected all the people that I've affected. But I'm not the only one. I mean, I met him in his 80s. That guy had been affecting people for, you know, what, 60 years before I even met him. How many guys that have gone, come through that church that were pastors were affected by him? A lot. A lot. And how many people have they affected? And how many missionaries have been born out of that? And how many uh, countless souls have, have come to know Jesus and all this other stuff by this one guy who if you asked him and you said, hey, you know, what about your life? My life, yeah, I just missed my call. I don't know. 
I just do the best I can. Yep. And yet, hundreds, thousands of people have been affected as a result of that one guy. And he never left Fredonia. He sold Red Wing shoes. He worked as a janitor at the local high school. Yeah. Never know. You never know the far reach that that one person is going to have that you've influenced or the person they may influence or whatever. Are we willing to dwell in what God has given us to dwell in? And I hope the answer to that is yes. Because there is an effectiveness there that you're not going to find anywhere else. So if that means sunny Syracuse, it does. If it means somewhere else, it means somewhere else. But you find that, you get into that, you find that spot, and you'll never be more effective than you're going to be right there. Even if no one understands that. Any other comments or questions? All right, let's pray. Father, thanks for just uh, your purposes for our lives, and we thank you for an example in John the Baptist. We thank you for Moses. We thank you for Elijah and for Elisha and for David and for Paul and for Peter and for John. And God, we thank you that as these men were in the middle of what you had for them, that, God, you gave us great examples of how you use us and how you desire to use us in the world that we live in. Because, God, regardless of our education, regardless of our background, regardless of our personality, our perceived faults, our perceived strengths, weaknesses, whatever, you desire to use us. You desire to do awesome things through us. And whether or not we can perceive those awesome things all the time or we can see them as, you, as you're going about it, God, we can rest assured that there are awesome things that are going to take place as we hear you and we go about the business that you've given us to do. And so, God, tonight I pray that we'd be able to just rest into your will and your purposes for our lives. And I ask you, God, that we'd find peace. We'd find peace in the midst of your will, in the midst of what you have. God, I ask you that whatever influences are over us, that they would slowly and surely begin to fade as your influence rises. I pray that we care about you, we care about what you care about, and I pray you'd teach us how to live in the middle of that in a society that doesn't understand, in a society that doesn't care, in a society that wants us to conform to whatever they want us to conform to. I pray, God, that we would be able to conform more to you. God, tonight we give you thanks and we give you praise for your, your love, your grace, and your mercy over our lives. We give you thanks for creating us the way that we are. I pray, God, that you will use us 
We ask it in Jesus' name. Let's go by saying amen. 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 All right, good to see everybody tonight.